so uh, Advent, this season where you're in Advent, uh, the word meaning coming, as uh, Drew unpacked last week, and um, we, we wait for a lot of things. We're, we're always sort of waiting for something, whether it be something inside of ourselves, something uh, from another person that we hope for, that we expect, that we want, uh, something from God. Uh, but Advent is, is life for a human being in many ways, the waiting on the coming of something, something that will change and affect our life in a positive and dramatic way. But waiting is really hard. Waiting is very hard for us. Um, we can hear about a show, and we can pull out our phone and watch it in like 10 seconds on Netflix or something. Got two-day shipping from, from Amazon. Right? We've, we've got access to all kinds of drugs and alcohol, um, dating apps, whatever, pornography. So many things that are shortcuts uh, that are in place of waiting for the real good thing that could come. So it's a, it's a difficult thing for a human being to wait, and it's especially difficult with all of the advancements that we have in, in our culture and our society today. And so oftentimes waiting, uh, waiting becomes this carousel of anxiety, avoidance, disappointment, just in this sort of cycle. But what if, what if waiting could be different? What if waiting could be like entering into a mysterious space or, or, or maybe even like a wave? That waiting could be the, the, the pro propelling through on this mysterious wave landing us in the present. I think uh, when, when, I, when I look at and read Isaiah's passage, I think he had a choice with what he was going to do with his waiting. And it seems evident and clear to me that what he chose was to step into the mystery. And as human beings, we've been given an amazing tool um, to help us access mystery, and that's our imagination. And so this morning, I want us to talk about imaginative waiting and what the prophet here has to teach us about that idea of waiting with imagination. Uh, all of us, well, almost all of us have a really good imagination. I don't say all, because I, I just can't account for, for every scenario, but we, we all actually have a really good imagination. Sort of the pop idea is that some people have really good imaginations, and they're like artists and singers and writers, and then there's the rest of us. But it's not true. Uh, for example, um, the power of imagination that my wife has to see in advance, to foresee how a dishwasher could be loaded to maximum potential and organization, it leaves me in awe and wonder. 
<laughs> One time she actually, she actually ch- challenged me and she said like, well, you see how many dishes you can get in the dishwasher and then I'll do it. And I'm like, Psh, that's no contest here. You, you're going to win. I, I, I have no way of getting anywhere close to that. So we, we, we all have imaginations and we all use them for different things. We can use our imaginations to say, um, come up with 30 different reasons why we were late on the same travel route to work. Some of us use our imaginations that way. Some of us use our imaginations to convince ourselves why we shouldn't break up with somebody that we definitely should. Some of us use our imaginations to figure out how to get that girl to go out with us that never should. And some of us use those imaginations on the other end to get a guy to notice us that maybe never would otherwise. We all have powerful imaginations. And what struck me about this passage and the waiting of Advent and those two things coalescing together was that our imagination can be used to center us actually in the present or it can be used for us to avoid the present that we have right now. The, the looking back into the past and imagining that things were perfect and wonderful in the past and so we can't be in the present that way or imagining maybe that things uh, will just turn out okay in the future so we don't spend our imagination there or imagining that nothing will ever change and everything will always be bad, and so we use our imagination in some other way, in all of these ways to keep us out of the present. And with all that's going on in the world, with all that's going on in us, it's no wonder that we cannot seem very often to use our imaginations when we are standing firm in this exact moment with clear eyes and an open heart and with fear right there in front of us, and have the faith to believe in some kind of other future, to imagine some kind of other reality that is born of the sweat of the present. So let's take a look and see how uh, Isaiah seems to be uh, doing this very thing, to be able to stand in the present in this way. Let's read again verse 1 together. It says, A shoot will come out from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Uh, when, when I had first moved to uh, Memphis, I was actually, we lived in Cordova, and uh, I was playing basketball with these kids and that had become my friends. And before that, I had moved many times. This would be my sixth Um, elementary slash middle school uh, that I would be attending once we moved here. And um, one day we were playing uh, (laughs) a sport. We were playing basketball, and uh, one of the neighbor kids named John, he said, uh, I said something, and he said, why don't you just go back to Georgia? And it caught me off guard. I'm like, what? I'm just talking about like my old place, like where I used to live. And um, the thing about it was, is I was always doing that. I was always talking about how much better it was in Georgia where I used to live. And he was sick of it. 
And what strikes me here about Isaiah is Isaiah is a man who loves the past of Jerusalem. He loves in his imagination to think about the rule and the reign of King David. That's what he's talking about here, this stump of Jesse, because Jesse was David's father. And so he's looking back at the golden age of Jerusalem, and he's remembering that there was this promise, this divine promise, that David, the favorite king and ruler of the people of Israel that established this sort of golden age, this almost mythic time for the people of Israel that they, would, they were always sort of looking back to in a way, and he is able to look at it clear-eyed enough and say, right now, that reality is like a tree cut down to a stump. You see, if, if we can't find a way to look at the present for what it is, we won't be able to employ our imagination to wait for what could be, to wait for what we could expect, to employ our faith for something that is intangible but connected both to the past and the present. And so he says there's a stump. This is what has become of the promises of God that we would be ruled continuously by the line of David, the stump of Jesse. But, he says, a shoot will come from it. The meaning there in the Hebrew is like a, like a small, green, new bit of life there popping up. And so in his imagination, he says, things aren't looking good right now. Things are looking terrible right now. But in my divinely inspired imagination given to me by God, I can see hope coming up out of what is real, not what I want to pretend that it is like, not what I, what I just hope that it was like in the past, but what it actually is, I can look at it and I can still employ my imagination, though it's scary and it takes a lot of faith for hope in something for tomorrow. Can anybody hear me right now? I'm not going to wait till the end of my sermon this time. <laughs> amen, amen. That's what you say. Amen. All right. So, you know, nostalgia is a powerful thing. Imagining nostalgic things, that things were always better uh, than what they are now, it's, it's, it's fun. You know, it's fun to imagine that, like, um, in the past, all the boys did think I was really cute until this certain time, right? Or I was the best on my football team, or I did have the best hair in high school. It's fun to sort of imagine and just like edit out the things that we don't like, but it's not real. Uh, life, I said this at the dinner table to Benjamin and with my family all listening there, uh, he was like, I don't like Advent. I want to go on ahead to Christmas. And um, I said, you know, Benjamin, life is pretty much two things. It's waiting and disappointment. But in between those two things, you can find slivers jammed in of little pockets of joy. 
that was our evening devotional. I don't, uh, I don't think he got it. So my question is, what are then those things that are truly a stump? Something from the past that we're, we're continuing to imagine is this tree full of life. This thing that we're holding out to keep us from dealing with the present. We're holding out on actually letting our imagination go on that thing so that it's freed up for other areas. Like you really weren't the best at anything probably. Anything you were the best in, somebody else somewhere in the world was better. Good in math? Yeah, go to India, buddy, and see what happens there. Okay. So what is that thing for you? Or what are those things? Because we all have them in our life. We all have these demands about what life should be. And we spend so much of our imagination doing that. So how do we enlarge? How do we enlarge our imagination to be more useful and productive to connect to what the future could look like and be. Let's, let's look back at the text of Isaiah, starting back in verse two. He's imagining what this shoot will look like, what the Messiah will be like. He says in verse two, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. Um, has anybody ever told you when they were thinking about something, they're like, oh, you would really love this. Has anybody ever told that to you? And, and, and somebody that didn't necessarily like know you that well, they just kind of knew a little bit about you. Um, for me, some of those things are like, oh, you would love this, fill in the blank with any black person talking about social justice. Or, oh, you would love this, anything that has like, a little like palette or paintbrush on it because I'm an artist, like no matter how tacky it is, something like that. I remember I got a journal one time. It was like full of artist quotes and it was totally unfunctional for actually using as an artist journal. Um, somebody said, oh man, and they're gonna return their Amazon gift for me for Christmas. Uh, or, or one time I was, I was 23 and this guy he said, oh, you would love this preacher. He was talking about how Jesus was like a UFC fighter. And like, and he, in one of his sermons, somebody like got up on the stage to attack him because they didn't like what he was saying. And he like took the dude down. And I, he could tell all by the look on my face. He's like, oh, you wouldn't like that. Oh. Why am I talking about this right now? I'll tell you. Um, because as, as I read Isaiah's imaginative work here, his, his faith-soaked, prophetic speaking about the Messiah, I wonder if he would actually like or, or recognize Jesus. 
based on these words. Because it's like, we, we look back here and it's like, he will judge, but he will not judge by what his eyes see and he'll, he'll judge with righteousness and he'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. I wonder if he could have imagined uh, the Jesus of the New Testament in mind, like someone who ate with tax collectors and sinners, someone who told an, uh, uh, an occupying Roman force the, one of the soldiers of that force, you, no greater faith have I seen in all of Israel than you. Or, or told somebody, hey, this, he told his disciples, hey, this person wasn't born blind because of the sin of his parents or of him. He, he was actually just born blind to show the power of God working in this reality. I wonder if as large as Isaiah's imagination was given to him by God, if he would actually be able to recognize Jesus when he came. What does that mean for us? It probably means our imagination for the future of what God might be doing and what it is we are waiting for, what our imagination contains when we say we are waiting for something to happen in the future is probably very small. It's probably very much smaller than what God has in mind. Have you ever thought about the fact that God gave us imaginations? That, that imagination is a, is a divine power given to us as human beings made in the likeness of God. Are we accessing that to be able to have faith in who God is? I know that I didn't grow up in the type of environment where that was something communicated to me. My imagination was only bad. It could only get me into trouble, which it did. But what if it was in the service of something so beautiful to help propel me in the present toward a future reality. And what Isaiah's passage tells me here is even, even with the help of God, my imagination still can continuously grow and never fill up a big enough space to contain and to hold what God is doing. Can y'all hear me right now? So your imagination can be a powerful force of good in the world. So what, what kills imagination? What kills this type of prophetic imagination? I want to talk about a couple, uh, two things briefly. And to talk about one of them, I'd like to jump into the, one of the other lectionary texts for the morning. Um, and that comes from Matthew chapter 3, where we have John the Baptist John the Baptist is this guy, and he um, was born around the same time as Jesus, and, and he was born as, as a way maker for the life of Jesus to clear the path, to sober people up, to hopefully be able to recognize what they were waiting for so that when they finally saw the redemption that they were hoping for, they would be sober-minded enough, clear-eyed enough, open-hearted enough to recognize the Messiah when he came. 
And so what he does, what John does, is in order for him to have that clarity, he leaves all the distractions, all of the material distractions and entertainment of the ancient Near East. So he leaves like, um, like, I guess he could go out to the market and buy some hanging meat if he wanted to. Um, or he could, you know, he could like drink some wine out of goat skins. All types of distractions that only could be rivaled by the distractions of today. And he leaves those things and he gets some really rough clothes made of uh, camel hair and he lives out in the wilderness where he is left with only his own thoughts and what's in his own heart to try to see what things just really are like, to get rid of enough distractions for a moment of time for reality to come into clear view. And so he... Uh, people begin to come to him and they want to be baptized. They want to be able to see what John sees. And then some of the people known as the Pharisees who were religious teachers of the day, they were experts in the law. They come in order to be baptized. And in, um, in verse seven, I think I have uh, on the screen. Um, yeah. It says this, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Sadducees were more like experts uh, uh, in, a, in a legal sense of the law, coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. One thing y'all can do to enhance your imagination is pay closer attention to trees because trees are used often in biblical language. So, um, you need to do that, okay? But for real, trees are awesome. Um, it's interesting to me that the people, and, and many of you can resonate with this, the people that were turned away from repentance uh, were, were not the people who had committed a, a, a sexual sin or who were drunkards or things like that, but it was was actually the people who thought they had God all figured out. The people that had wrung all the imagination out of what it meant to follow God. So I think there's two things here, two things that we can think about for ourselves about what, what can kill imagination. One thing is, is that instead of waiting we just ingest as much distraction as we possibly can, is we actually develop and cultivate addictions in our lives in order to keep us from the pain, the soberness of waiting for what is good. John the Baptist did this 
You don't have to do it like him. You don't have to wear camel hair. Um, I don't know, that might be in, I don't know, but um, you don't have to live out in the desert, but you do need to pursue a sober life, a sober life, if you want your imagination to be available to empower your faith so that you can work in the present for the future that we want, that we wait for, that we want to have the imagination for. Uh, the, the second thing is, if somebody told you exactly everything about who God was and who God wasn't and what God liked and what God didn't your whole life, they were not talking about God. They were talking about what they needed God to be so that they didn't have to face all of the uncertainties of life. See, I, I, I know this, is, this could be difficult for some of us because we learned a lot of good moral things. We learned a lot of good moral things. You can learn good morality from people without imagination. And I learned some of those things. My dad, very little imagination for who and what God could be in the world. I remember being six or seven or eight, somewhere in there, and like crying with my little brothers because he's like, you have to really believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins or you're going to hell. And I'm seven years old and I'm weeping. I'm like, I believe, I believe, please don't send me to hell. No imagination. This text, Isaiah, imagines a little child leading creation. And God gave you that imagination. So that means it is holy. That is an awesome power and responsibility to wield that imagination for the goodness of the future for all of humanity. You know, it says here in the passage of Isaiah, it says, what about the knowledge of the Lord? It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And right before that, he explains what type of world, what the world looks like when knowledge of the Lord covers it. It is a world of peace. It is a world where unexpected ways of peace developing happen, where animals who are predator and prey are now together eating the same grass, where a child doesn't have to fear snakes, reversing the curse way back in Genesis 3. This is what a freed imagination is capable of doing, of producing. Because believe it or not, what we imagine will manifest in reality in some way. I don't mean that in a hokey way. I mean that in what you believe is possible, what you believe humanity is for, you will see it. When there was a shooting just the other day in Pensacola, Florida, I was watching on YouTube, and I made the terrible mistake of looking at some of the comments. As Chance the Rapper said, baby, don't look down, don't look down. <laughs> and I saw within a few comments, people already arguing 
well, that's because that was a gun-free zone and those liberals there, and well, we got guns in the first place, don't we? And that's the problem there, and da-da-da-da-da. And just constant bickering back and forth. There's no imagination in those conversations. No imagination of what the world could possibly look like if both the lion and the lamb were to be able to lay together. This is why it was so, so mind-blowing and why we still have thousands of people trying to interpret the life of Jesus that we see in the Gospels. Because we try to turn, hey, when he gives a coin and somebody says, what, you know, should we pay taxes? And he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And people say, see, that means you should listen to the government at all times. Because we have no imaginations. Think about it. If Jesus is the image of God made perfect on earth, then he has the best imagination of all. Which means you're not going to have a good accurate time trying to talk about what he said and say this is what Jesus meant with no imagination. That's why artists make better interpreters of the scripture, I'm convinced. (laughs) I mean, that's what's in my imagination. (laughs) So, John the Baptist is the repent guy. He tells people to repent. And what we need to repent for today, maybe not you, maybe just me, is having too small of an imagination of what God is capable of, of what God means, of what God intends. Because we can't wait on it when we don't even know what it is. The best chance of encountering God at any given moment, is your imagination. So as we close, uh, I want us to look side by side at verse 1 and verse 10 in this Isaiah passage. Verse 1, he says, from this stump, this shoot will come out, the stump of, of Jesse. From his roots, branch will bear fruit. And then in verse 10, in this last verse, he says, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. He refers to this Messiah as both the shoot and the the root itself of the tree, which implies that in this stump, this tree that was cut off that the root grew out of, that, that the Messiah was there too. That he was, he was both in the past and in the present and in the future. And so, so as we wait, as we wait in Advent, we're waiting as we consider the people who are waiting for the incarnation of Jesus. But we stand on the other side of that. And maybe, maybe what we are waiting for more is to have the imagination just to begin to understand a little bit more about what that incarnation meant. I think think our imaginations are still trying to catch up to, we don't need to worry about the second coming of Christ because we hadn't figured out how to imagine and understand the first coming. 
So that is my hope and my prayer for us this morning, that we let loose our imagination to be able to understand who and what God is and what he's trying to show us right here in the present. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for this season of waiting. Thank you for the stories and the images and the sacraments you've given us to fill our imagination. I pray that we would use it, that we would have the faith to believe in what you have given us and that we can see you more clearly. Amen.